Hi, this is Molly Cameron, founder of Portland Sports Group and Portland Bicycle Studio. You're about to experience the Puck Portland Podcast. This is no different. Ladies and gentlemen, Molly Cameron, welcome to the Puck Portland Podcast. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, good. Yeah. How you been doing? I've been doing really good. Yeah? I have been really busy. Yeah? Yeah. You were just in Redlands. Yeah, I was down in uh, Redlands for the Redlands Classic, presented by the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Stage race. Let's just see what's going on here. Why is this happening? To me all the time. Speak, Speak for, for me a little bit, bit in there. I'm going to talk about there racing in the Redlands Cycling Classic, uh, San, uh, presented by the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Um, yeah. Buck Portland. <laughs> We're just having a little technical difficulties here sometimes. Without a producer, it gets a little difficult. Now, I can hear myself. Can mm-hmm. I get a little more Ed in the mic? Can, can I get, get a little more Ed in the mic? How's that? Can you hear me now? Yeah. A little bit better? Yeah. We're getting it dialed in here. Well, thanks for coming over, Molly Cameron, uh, from Portland Bicycle Studios. Singular. Here in Portland, Oregon. That's your bike shop, for the people that don't know. Yeah. I started a bike shop 15 years ago. Has it been 15 years? Yeah, 2001. Now, you were originally where when you started? I started the bike shop, and I called it Velo Shop. Mm-hmm. And I started that, and I put it... Well, necessity dictated that I put it in uh, the corner on the corner of MLK in Fremont in Northeast Portland. It was a pretty bad neighborhood at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I was at, I was at that I was on the corner of MLK in Fremont in Northeast for and at least a couple, not quite two years. And then I got the chance. I left at the chance to move into the Oak Street building, which is. Uh, on 9th and Oak. It's in between 9th and 10th on Burnside, basically. What got you into wanting to start a bike shop? Um, I, uh, I lived in San Francisco. So San Francisco was home before Portland. Okay, so let's, maybe we should go back. Where did you grow up? San Francisco? Okay, I'll get, I'll, this is my spiel. I was a military brat. Oh, I don't know if you know this about me. I know a few of that. A few of them. So I was a military brat. I was born in Wichita Falls, Texas. Woo-hoo. So... Uh, I guess I should say yeehaw. <laughs> I could say yeehaw. <laughs> um, yeehaw! And uh, I was born in Texas, and then <clears throat> my dad was in the Air Force, 
he got stationed in Belgium, so then I moved to Belgium. We lived in Belgium for two years, and then my dad got stationed in Turkey. We moved to Turkey for a couple of years, and then it was the first the first Gulf War happened, and they shipped all the kids off and the dependents back to the states. So I ended up in Delaware, and I went to high school in Newark, Delaware. And then uh, I was really into skateboarding, and I started playing in bands, and I was playing music, and I wanted to continue skateboarding and playing in music. Uh, and so I moved to Santa Cruz, California for about a year. And uh, it was really expensive. Santa Cruz, California was a hard place to find a job as a, you know, I think I was barely 20 years old at that point. And uh, I couldn't find a job anywhere. I ended up, like, moving back home to Delaware with my mom for, like, a few months and then moving down to Texas because my dad had relocated back to Texas, lived there for a few months, and then uh, moved to San Francisco. And I lived there for five years. I was there from 96 to 2001. Um, and then in 01, I moved to Portland. And it was kind of a house share. So I lived in San Francisco, and I was a bike messenger. And I still played in bands. And, you know, when I got into cycling, I kind of tapered off with... I mean, I was a full-time skateboarder, and then uh, I became a bike messenger and worked at a bike shop. And uh, what the hell happened? I started skating less and less and started riding my bike more and more. And, um, I don't know. Did you ever have any dreams of being a pro skater? Eh, I kind of know. I was never that good. I really liked skateboarding. I mean, that was, I still do. I just don't do it that much. Yeah, it's um, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then, you know, when I, got, when I got into cycling, it was like every time I rode my skateboard, I would hurt myself, and then I couldn't really ride my bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and, no, I never thought I was going to be a pro skateboarder. I wanted to do it forever, um, and I mean, you know, I still do. I just don't have any time. Yeah. What about the music? You were just you were talking about uh, being. In, what did you play when you were in the band? What kind of instrument were you playing? Oh, I played drums. Fuck yeah. Yeah. So I still have the first cassette tape we recorded of me and an old friend of mine uh, when we were in. Geez, were we even in? I'm like freshman in high school, and. And I was like, I want to play drums. And he said, I want to play bass. And so we just like jammed out and bought some crappy drum set. Man, this was before Craigslist. I bought a crappy drum set off of like a newspaper ad. You know, you yeah. go to like the back of the newspaper and they're like yeah. classifieds. And I found it. And like the guy came by my house. I think, I think I went to his house and checked it out and I bought it. It was like a hundred What's amazing is people still use that. Yeah. People are still using classified ads. They do. Yeah. There's like still a whole group of people that are iPhone... Or they don't have the technology. Maybe they do have the technology, but they're just like, I'm, I'm just going to stick with They're retro grouches. Yeah. They just like want to stay as analog right. as possible. Even like dating. Like people still try to date on there. If you open you open the paper, you'll see. They'll be like looking for a... <laughs> right. I wouldn't know. I'm so, uh, certain I'm so attached to the digital technology these days. Oh, yeah. I fucking love technology. Yeah, I'm addicted to it. Yeah, I love it. I mean... Yeah, hence we're here doing a podcast. Right. Okay. Yeah, you check your emails. I'm okay. checking my email. I'm mean, Instagramming. Uh, <laughs> Feel free. Um, uh, hold on, I gotta take this phone call. I'm totally convinced that everybody's gonna have, and like they have a Facebook now, everyone's gonna have a podcast, and you're just gonna have a, we're all gonna be at home, no one's gonna go out, and we'll just talk to each other on Facebook. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, think you, could argue, you could argue that Facebook's already. I mean, it's not the same as a sit-down one-on-one. I mean, the great thing... So, Facebook isn't the same as a sit-down one-on-one podcast, but... That's true. But that's... 
in in a sense. I mean, right when the technology starts to... melding or wherever everything, when when you start to fold in Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like Periscope. I can't wait. I mean, honestly, like I hate how fractured all of these social media platforms are. I don't, I don't necessarily, like I love that there's kind of this diversity, but there's really not a diversity in all the technology. It's like kind of all the same shit. Yeah, it's, it's all the same. You have to go to three, I go to three yeah. different sites consistently to be like, and, 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 and. Yeah. and each of them have their own personality and people are posting on each one and all like, they're sort of using the format that that technology gives them and not like, branching out and then once in a while you'll see somebody that does something completely different you're like oh shit they're, they don't even give a shit about how to do it they're just doing it yeah what I've liked lately is when people are taking so on the gram uh, not to get totally keep going in this fucking realm but when people are posting multiple pictures and making a big picture mm. instead of just having one so I like you, that. yeah and you're like, like oh that. that's a big screen I need to do that I don't know how to do it I've been like <laughs> I'm like man that's another step I got you know how you do it is you hire an art department and then <laughs> they spend ten thousand dollars shooting and editing one crappy photo of somebody on a time trial bike and then they make it into yeah. like six or nine little squares how much are you guys doing uh, promoting PBS I know I've, I see um, uh, if you want to follow you it would be at that at the Molly Cameron on Instagram, right? It's pretty much at the Molly Cameron everywhere. Everywhere, Got yeah. Me, you can hit me on Skype, Periscope, Instagram, Twitter, yeah. Facebook. I still have a Friendster account. Word. Uh, that's pretty tough. I mean, there's a new there's a new social media platform called what the hell is it called? It's called a, Tinder. No, though Tinder also fantastic social media platform. Um. Eh, what the hell is it called? It's called like Pixel Dust or something. Oh, really? Yeah, wait, hold on. I'm gonna yeah, you look it up. I'll talk about Tinder because I have a friend <laughs> that just went to Australia and basically used Tinder as like uh, Airbnb. Yes, fuck yes. Because you're just like, hey, I'm, I need a place to stay. Like, who wants to like, hook up? And it's like, that's, that's what Tinder's great for. Yeah, it's sweet. We have a tradition... Uh, and I want to give a shout out to you know Cyclocross Nationals Tinder because every year when we go to Cyclocross Nationals for the last three years, I had never heard of Tinder a couple years ago, and then it's a thing because all of your friends and all of your sponsors and all these other athletes and pros and everybody knows at Cyclocross Nationals, and we were like, well, we can fire up Tinder and then we can just talk to everybody and find everybody and, you know, you can see who's in town and who's not. Right, right, right. So it's my tradition now. Every uh, January, I fire up my Cyclocross Nationals Tinder account. That and sounds genius. Try and get into a lot of trouble. Because it does show you who's around, which is great. So you sort of know you have a collective, like, bank of people who are in town or in, within five miles. From, yeah. From and it's a out. bunch of dorky, boring bike racers yeah. that are stuck usually somewhere cold and miserable because it's January and it's Cyclocross National. So we're all trying to navigate from bar to bar. And then, you know, there's a lot of people that like, you know, you have your bike racer, bike racer crush on, you know, this, this athlete or that athlete. And you're like, oh, I really want to hang out with. And I'm not going to name names because right. I don't embarrass everybody. That's, that's but I have a lot of Cyclocross crushes. And... It's an easy way to then say, hey, we're in the same place, and then you, you, know, you can swipe right, you swipe left, and then they do the same, or they don't, and you never meet your cyclocross crush, and you're heartbroken, and right. you, you know. I can't find this app. So it's, who's the guy that owns Mark Cuban? Yeah, he's on has Shark an app. Tank. He's on Shark Tank. He owns some professional sports teams. Yeah, he's got a new app, and it's called Pixel Dust, I think. 
Pixel dust? Oh, he probably totally ripped Pixie off his idea. Yeah, what the hell is this? It's like... It's for hooking up, or is no, this No, it's for... not for hooking up. It's just a social media app, and I didn't quite get it. It's... I can't keep up with all this stuff. Well, there's got to be some sort of, like... Cyber dust. All right, here it is. Wait, I'm going to read the... Uh... It's private messaging, private networking. I made an account and I signed up, but uh, you get these blasts. Let's see, what's, what's their pitch? Send private encrypted disappearing messages to friends or coworkers, build intimate networks and private relationships with influential members and celebrities. Secure, easy, and 100% free. I tried it. It seemed like a lot of ads and yeah. a lot of like uh, celebrities kind of marketing departments right, trying right. to sell us shit. Right. I need to get on that shit. I need to be in your face on like, I, your phone needs to once a day, like, be like, Puck Fortland just wants a dollar. <clears throat> <laughs> just it's not a bad idea. Right. I mean, like going back to what we were saying about like all these different social media apps. So, um, I just I hate how fragmented everything is. It's really hard to, you know, I I I, uh, I hate Facebook. I fucking hate it. But I have to be on it for work, and I have to be on it for the shop and for my teams and you know, our athletes and our sponsors and everything, but it's so hard to find anything. So I spend most of my time on Facebook trying to find content that is relevant to, you know, a particular sponsor or a bike race or, you know, a, a, you know, a, an event or something. And it's, you know, it's kind of the trick of social media, especially Facebook. Facebook. They do a really good job of keeping Facebook, you yeah. attached and you have to stay engaged. Yeah. But I, you know... It's like, well, if you're paying attention to Facebook, then you miss a lot of stuff on Twitter. And, and, you know, I don't know, your Instagram is owned by Facebook, so all that stuff gets dumped on Facebook anyways. But I love I love seeing a glimpse. Like, I, the thing I like about all these social media platforms is getting a glimpse into other people's worlds and their lives. Like, I'll randomly go follow, like, you know, like weird little Arab sheiks that drive their cars all crazy on these abandoned desert highways. And then I'll, what I'll do is I'll spend time just like watching this glimpse in basically real time. You know, they're posting and it could be across halfway across the world. Right. And they're posting in real time, you know, this video and they're at like a Starbucks in Dubai. Right. And they're hanging out with their buddy. And then I can go and check out their buddy's social media account. And it's really fascinating to kind of, there's definitely a lot of garbage out there and a lot yeah, of... Yeah. So much garbage. Yeah. Well, I was like, what interests me with the Periscope thing is the Periscope, you can like open the map on Periscope and like look at who's yeah. broadcasting all over the world. And then yeah. I get into like when I'm like, I can't sleep. So I'll be like, let's go to daytime somewhere over there, you know, whether yeah. Dubai or Saudi Arabia or uh, Ireland. So you get in all these places. Where was I the other day? I was in like in Dublin, Ireland, opened up a, a, a Periscope. It came up. There was only like three of us on there, you know, like watching. So it was like a bunch of dudes just hanging out, drinking and smoking weed. And uh, the guy saw it. They see your name for a second. So they see yeah. who turns yeah, on, yeah, you know, yeah. and he's watching. He's like, oh, Puck Fortland. And the guy in the back said something, uh, said something like about like Portland, about like, he was like, fuck yeah. you, Portland. And I was like, no shit. And then awesome. he was like, the 503. And like, he, oh, he knew like that. He said so he'd been here. And I was like. It's figures like you just pop anywhere up in the world, and then some guy was like, "Oh, I used to live there," and he's like, "Oh, he doesn't. No offense, he wasn't trying to be an asshole. He's like, don't leave." And then they were just like three boring dudes, like just like hanging out smoking, yeah, and fucking fucked up, and just like just trying to that's awesome. meet chicks. Yeah, that's hilarious. So random. I, that's what I mean. That is amazing. 
it's I love that I love how accessible that stuff is I mean it's yeah. crazy you it's know, changing it's, the world it's changing the world and I think that some people realize it and some people don't and there's definitely like a big st- stigma against you know oh, like yeah. I don't love you know on the flip side of this coin I don't love going to a restaurant and you look around and everybody's just staring at their phones and right. looking you know you're at a dinner across from somebody and you're just staring at your phone yeah. instead of engaging with the other person that's right in front of you so I feel like there are some um pitfalls or yeah. traps well, you know so early in the technology like yes. we're we're like chimps with like yes. a, a knife or something you know like we yes. just figured out how to get the ants out of the hole with the with the piece of straw so we can ant eat you know eat ants out of the hole like we're so di- delved in and it is frightening for people i can imagine like i feel like i'm on the cusp or i feel like we're safe of forever being able to handle new technology because we're the last generation that came from when there was absolutely nothing. You know, like we saw beepers happen. Yeah. And we were like fucking beepers. Like yeah. you can get pinged anywhere so you can go, so somebody can text you mobily and say, call me from a payphone. Yeah. So I don't, whatever comes out now, like even when I'm super old, I'm not going to be like, what the fuck is this? I'm going to know like to keep pumping to technology. But for anybody older than us or me, like my parents or anybody in like, you know, their 50s, you know, there's still a lot of 50-year-olds that get it too, but when you turn on, like, this Periscope again, was, like, down in uh, uh, Medford, it was, like, oh, Medford, Oregon, there's a couple, there's two kids down there, I turn it on, it's, like, two 14-year-old kids, and they're just, like, uh, they're co-opting, you know, like, this, that's sort of big, like, in the in media these days, it was, like, co-opting culture, you know what I mean, like, that kid with dreadlocks got, like, attacked or something, there was something on the main media news, but hmm. here these two Medford white kids are just, like, fuck you, nigga, like, the whole time, they're, like, yo, nigga, you fucking come out and we shoot Mike, and, like, they're, they're not co-opting culture, they're just talking, like, they're gangsters, but they're, they, they're doing that in the middle of the night, and they really, it's not like they're faking it and doing it as, like, a shtick, like, they just really think that's how it is, so they're so, um, they're educated in a way that and they're so bombarded with all this like media that they think like they're they think they're like white gangster kids in Medford on Periscope they're really like yeah and it's when I look at that I'm like oh man like these kids it makes me feel like being like how do you help the youth but then I'm like I'm not gonna help anybody like you know what I mean I just have to let it go and be like this is just part of like the world's fucked up yeah and it's like that all over the world like there's Chinese kids, there's like, you know, Indian kids, Dubai kids. They're all, they all think they're like uh, gangster rappers. Like they all really do. They're like super hard and they all just get into that, that culture. I'm just, in, I just can't wait to see where it goes. I'm always like, man, this isn't going to keep going. It's going to explode even further. I feel like, I feel like another thing too with social media and, uh, just popular culture is it's so much more it's accessible now and and that's you know like there's all this crazy shit you see on youtube and you know these you know crazy feats that if somebody told you the story you would never have believed it like oh this guy jumped through you know this window and jumped and landed 20 feet down and then jumped off over a car and like you know a lot of it out there is cgi bullshit but 
like that stuff really happens yeah. and in in the past it would just be this like story that you tell and like you know you know i mean 15 years ago you didn't have cameras on your phone you know no way and, no, and so no. nobody would believe this shit but now that's what's crazy is we're so overwhelmed by content and stories and 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 i think that's what the youth of today are going through is having to negotiate that whereas before we had mtv you know like that was what i did as a teenager was like I would come home for school. I would go skateboard for until I was tired. I'd come home. I'd eat cereal and I'd watch MTV until midnight. Yeah, Kurt Loader. And yeah, then Monsters, Monster Ball. And that was all the media. And that was all the content. And that was that was social media. That was what I thought community was. And downtown, downtown Julie Brown. Yeah, like, and 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 now it's like times a thousand. Like kids get so much content, just nonstop barrage. Whether it's Facebook or Snapchat or Tinder or fucking anything. Yeah. Um, it's gonna. It is gonna be really interesting because I think it raises awareness, but then I think it also can has the effect of like uh, I don't know. Like it's cool because I think it blurs lines. I mean, whatever. You have these idiot kids in Medford and like talking trash like they're fucking gangsters, and they're really just these like redneck kids from Medford. Right. Um. So it can kind of blur lines and identities, but then I think it's gonna end up. I don't know. It's gonna end up. Uh, it's going to be interesting seeing what kind of new identities come out of this because we have more access to data now. There's some, you know, BS statistic out there that like, you know, in a single day of our lives, we have access and we read more content than like people 200, even a hundred years ago in the, you know, in the late 1900s, hundred years ago that they got in their entire lifetime. Right. You know, we have so much more access to all this data and I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. For everybody, but it's yeah. interesting. And, you know, I can understand. Again, I embrace technology. I love it. Like, I can't wait for the singularity, you know, to the point where, like, we can be doing this podcast <laughs> and I'm looking you in the eye, but I'm also checking my emails and my text messages right. and in my retina. And I don't have to use my hands and I don't have to look down at a phone. I can just be doing this menial tasks, yeah. you know, easily right. in my field of vision. And some people think that's right around the corner. They think, you know, oh, that's sure. what's going to be in the next five or ten years. Yeah, it should be. I'm, I'm right in, the same, in that same camp with you. Is I, don't, uh, I don't shy away from it, or it would be just way easier. You know what I mean? And the, the sharing of information, and I think it would check a lot of people's shit if you were, like, if I could just, like, look at you and I'd be like, like, there's all your stuff. You're just like, yeah. in some sense, people say, like, it'll bring us, like, we'll all become, like, this one monogamous, or, like, uh, is it monogamous or? Homogenous. Homogenous. Like, one thing, because yeah. we'll sort of dull ourselves down and just be, like, worker bees. Like, like what's, what's the thing? There'll be less individuality. But also, I think it'll keep you from... Uh, There'll just be so much more truth out there that you can really just be like, oh, okay, like just let's get past the like bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's that's exactly how I feel about it. I had a good a discussion with a really good friend of mine who is a cycling coach, and he lives down in uh, Los Angeles. And we were talking about social media and just media and content, and 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 I'm all about. I feel the same way you do. I think I, where I feel like. Um, you know, the more info we have, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a particular, I'm a private person, but a lot of my info is stuff is out there. Like people know a lot about me because I put myself out there and a lot of people don't like that. So anyways, I was having this discussion with my buddy Jeff and, 
you know, he would, I was of the opinion that, like, look, the more people are exposed to more content, you know, you can have some redneck from Medford that's never seen a black person in his entire life, but now he can go on the internet and he sees, he sees people of color and he sees all these different cultures and getting exposed to that will kind of, I'm of the hopeful opinion that it'll lessen, I don't know, some bigotry and some, you know, bias. I think people will always have their opinions and they'll be biased. And, yeah. you know, over the years and years, it'll be based on their experiences and histories and everything. But I'm hopeful that with the readily access, readily available information and just this wealth of shit, you know, it won't be a shock. I mean, even you take transgender people, they're on TV now. And 10, 20 years ago, it was like a secret joke, you know? It was this thing that no one knew about, and now it's, like, out in the public eye. People talk about it. It's it's acceptable for people to talk about it. Politicians talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think just I'm hopeful the discrimination and, you know, all the fucked up things that exist in the world will kind of be dulled a little bit. I'm not saying that hate and bigotry is going to go away overnight because of social media. I'm not that delusional, but I like to think that with so much info out there, kind of like you said earlier, like, you know, there's not a lot to hide, you know? I think, with all this said, I think privacy is really important. I think privacy is really, 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 really important, but I'm also personally the type of person where I'm like, look, like, somebody wants to hack into my email, they're going to be able to fucking do it, and there's not much I can stop them. You know, not much I can do to stop them, so... You know, I kind of act and move forward like most of my info is out there already. Right, like, and they're already hacking into it. And it it's yeah, already sure. there. Like, it doesn't yeah. go away. That concept of, like, anything you ever put on the internet, it's like, doesn't... You don't delete stuff. It's, it's stored somewhere. It just oh, yeah. doesn't go away. No, I'm fully aware of that. You know, like, when you send an email, it's it's around forever. Yeah. And the, e, the E stands for eternity. I mean, that that is going to be around forever. And, uh, you know... Yeah, we we can go deep. I know we're getting down to some NSA spy shit right now. This is not where I thought we were gonna go. I was like, we're gonna start with Redlands. Well, yeah, we can back up. I mean, starting with Redlands in the bike race. What I do with social media is like, I try, and this sounds crazy, like I try to help people and I try and tell stories, and. Oh, that, which brings me, not to interrupt you, but brings me to see your blog. What's going on with your blog? Is it just you're so busy? We talked. We were talking a little bit earlier about you want to do a podcast, Cycling MMA. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I was researching your uh, sort of like what you've been up to a little bit just to brush up. And I was like, oh, your second to last blog was like, okay, I want to blog more. Yeah. I gotta get back. Yeah. And then you did Isn't one that, more, and then you're like, that was no well, pressure. You're like, I, I it's you, so busy. You could go on to, like, we could take all of the professional cyclists in the world, and we could go find their blogs, and I guarantee you that 90% of them have, in one of the last two blog posts, oh, I need to blog more. Totally. You know, and then it goes silent for a year, and then there's, like, one more update. And, like, frankly, it's because when Twitter came out, I mean, I think when it came out and it's sort of being more widely accepted and used, people were like, it's going to kill blogging. And then people were like, oh, no, it's not going to kill blogging. But frankly, like Twitter and Instagram have killed blogging. Yeah. Like Instagram's fantastic. I love the visual. Like I love that I can tell a story with a photo. I don't even have to put a description or words onto right. it to tell a story. Right. And that shit is fascinating to me. Um, and with my blog, frankly, it's just time. You know, there was a point, I think... When I first started my bike shop, in the first like four or five years of the bike shop, I had, I was still busy as hell. I'm always busy and busy and stressed out. But 
I had more time. Like I could actually like go to a coffee shop, I'd go to Stumptown, and I would sit down, and I would have a soy mocha, and I would chill out for like four hours, and I would just write on my blog, uh, write on my blog. And then I would take time, and I would edit it, and I would put up photos and make this content. Well now, like, now I'm basically doing with Instagram, like Periscope, I'm just live blogging everything. Right. You know, my Instagram is like a daily feed of like what I'm doing in the moment with a little description, and and so this is almost what drives me crazy is like I would love for there to be like an aggregator app that could take like a weekly snapshot or you could choose the time period of your Instagram and your Twitter and then compile it all into a blog with the photo content, you know, and put it into like a website format. Right. Don't steal my idea for an app. If you do, I'm coming after you. Well, yeah, well, I think it's a great idea, but then I also think uh – because you already put it out on all those other things, why would somebody go to why go back to it? They'd be like, oh. This is my issue with Facebook. Like you put so much content on Facebook, and it's it just it's, gets buried. It gets buried. It's unsearchable. Um, it's really hard to kind of organize the content that's there into. And it's also frankly ugly. Like I hate looking at Facebook. It's it's totally hideous. Um, it reminds me of going to. Uh, I want to say, I feel like all hail the black market could have done, like, could have been Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, nowadays, like, Facebook originally was a a lot cleaner. And, like, you know how uh, all hail the black market's, like, it's got all, like, advertising on the side, or it's, like, a bunch of, like, flash pops and everything. It's just much more, like, information. So you're looking there, and there's, like, so many different blocks and windows where you're, like, and what I loved about All Hail the Black Market back when it started, it was like there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't Twitter yet. Yeah. He was out there blogging. You can go and he was putting pictures. Yeah. He was putting content and you can get the best top 10 porn sites that he recommended and you could still, he was linking them right to it. And you're like, no shit, you could just go right here. I mean, I, I feel like that's a good example of um, somebody that tells really good stories and is doing a really good thing being a victim of the, just the fragmentation of all these social media things. Right. Because exactly. like, yeah, we that's have a to, you know, like for people like him and I and, and you, like where we're like, you know, this is, if this isn't entirely our job, this is a big part of our job and what we do. And we have to, it's like that fucking cyber dust app came out and I heard about it and I was like, Whoa, God damn it. I guess I have to make an account cause I have to check it out yeah. and I have to be engaged in that because if I'm not engaged there and then I have, you know, I, I may miss, you know, or a sponsor or a company or, or somebody I'm working with or an athlete may be involved, you know. Especially since platform. it's so new as well. Yeah, and, and so what can happen, and that's what happens, is, you know, ultimately, you know, in a sense, like, these companies and people, you have to monetize your website or your blog or whatever the hell. And I've never had, like, I've never monetized, like, any of my websites or blogs or anything like that. Um, which I think has helped it feel pretty authentic. I've never had like pop-up ads or like Google ads on the side, even though I should probably, frankly, have done it. I'd probably be a little, you know, I'd have a little money to be able to pay rent. Right. But it's it sucks because you have somebody that does good stuff, but because they have to be engaged and spread across all these social media platforms, and then you have to aggregate those and pull those together like on your website or your blog, and it just looks like crap. Um, and then also, you said it earlier, like the way you tell, you could take the same story, you know, like bike racer wins race. Thanks sponsor. It's going to look different on Twitter and it's going to look different on Facebook and it's going to look yep. different on Instagram and it's going to look different on Snapchat and Tinder 
in a periscope. Yeah. And that, that's kind of like what it's kind of fun because you ha- you can kind of tell your stories a little different ways on each platform. But for me, it's just like it, it's excess work that like I wish I didn't have to do. Like. Yeah. And and then sometimes it looks like garbage, you know. Like it'll some story will look really good on Instagram, but then on Twitter it's just point it's pointless. Right. Um, it's it's a, it's an interesting time because I know that new social media is gonna come out. You know that's why like, this Cyber Dust app. Like I wanted to check it out and see what it was about and how it's gonna work. And and you know it may not work for me. But there's going to be more and more and newer stuff coming out. And that's, yeah. I'm curious about that. You know, Twitter's not going to be around forever. Facebook isn't. Yeah. You know, Instagram isn't. It's going to progress and change yeah. and adapt and evolve. Have you heard about my dumpster app? No. It's for homeless people. <laughs> it's a combination of car to go the Car2Go app that we have in Portland, those rentable cars, and Tinder. But instead of you swiping left or right, you roll the window up or down. So it's a picture of a homeless person. And then you can look at the map on your phone and see where all the homeless people are like hanging out on the corners. So Dumpster gives you a barcode that cars can come up and you don't give them money. You scan the barcode and you get their, their platform. So you get their face and their like drop page on the app. Yeah. And then the app, we put in all of the information on how this guy got poor. Why is he? You can be totally honest. You know, like I lost my job. I just like drinking. Yeah. Fuck the government. And then you can donate to them on dumpster. So then they get a, they have a card in there that we give them. Yeah. This is all in theory, by the way. So right. whoever wants to like pay for you know like steal this or just give me some credit for it, and then you can go and d- help homeless people and homeless families. But it's called dumpster. Yeah, it's a great idea. It's a little garbage can. Yeah, it's fantastic. App, but it's, I like the idea instead of swiping left or right, it's a car door window. So you roll it up or you roll it. Like when you see the picture, if you like them, you just, you can roll the, you can roll I mean, the window down. The shit about that that kills me is you have this great idea and it's coming from a good place in your heart. Like you want to do something good. Right. And I guarantee you that couldn't happen because of like some privacy BS or, I mean, or frankly, not BS, but like, you know, somebody could use that app to then go track down and beat up or kick, you know, kill or like attack right. all of these people because they'd be able to track them via your app. Right. I mean, that this is exactly like what's cool and also what's dangerous about social media is like I can put so much content out there and, you know, it can be used against me. Um, again, like I'm, I'm the kind of person where, you know, I, I get in trouble a lot with my partner because I'm, I'm constantly working and I'm constantly looking at my phone on the phone, you know, on social media, on my computer. And, you know, in a way like it never stops, you know? And the thing is like, I can turn it off, you know, I'm really good at checking out and relaxing. And that's something like kind of like I pride myself on. I feel like a lot of people think it's a joke and don't know about it, but like, you know, I can check out whenever I want. Right. The thing is, you know, I don't have to check emails. I don't have to answer my phone. Like I could walk away from technology easy, you know, and the world isn't going to fall apart for me. You know, I could turn all the technology off, unplug my phone, and I'd still have a bike shop that I could walk into and work every day. Right. It's going to pick right back up where you left, where you want to come back in. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's just that I'm choosing to engage all of this stuff right now and use it to kind of further the cool stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm really good at checking out. And the thing I know too is like, you know, all this stuff on social media and all these photos of me and I'm sure all of my info and my social security number and all this stuff, it's like, you know, it'd be so easy to get and hack. And, you know, I think people would, oh, you ruin your life and steal your credit cards. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, like totally that can happen. And, you know, all I can do is try and have really good passwords. And if it happens, it's not going to ruin my life. It's a yeah. hassle. But like I could cut all of this stuff up and take all my money out of a bank account and turn it into cash and walk away from this really easily, you know, and like there is a total part of me that wants to be off the grid. I mean, I've said like, I just want to buy some land and yeah. like get off the grid and disappear and chill. Yeah. If somebody hacked in and took my account over, they would just be like eight grand in debt. Just like, there you go, dude. <laughs> you got it. That's pretty awesome. I have a, a quick question for you. Um, July 9th, Misha Tate is fighting Amanda Nunes. Who are you picking on that one? Going with Tate. You're going to take Tate fan? I'm a Misha Tate fan. I'm I a know. Misha Tate fan. She's amazing. When she just won, that was one of the funnest nights I've had. And I can remember being like, texting you, and you're like, who is this? I'm like, it's Eddie. You're like, Eddie who? I'm just like, it's... Ali said it was cool if I come. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, just come over. But that was so great. Like, I, I get really into the into that. Like, your friends too that were there, and I forget all their names. For those of you guys who we're not going to say that were there, yeah, yeah you motherfuckers. Those guys were fucking hilarious. Like, I was like, oh, I want more of this. Like, these guys are killing me, and everybody was so very kind, or kind mean. They were really telling like. There was a lot of personal fucking jokes that were like really digging, but funny in the sense that like everybody was friends and be like, "Oh, you son of a bitch!" Oh yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. So we gotta we gotta give everybody that's listening some background on this. Yeah. I am a huge mixed martial arts fan. I did martial arts as a kid. I was never any good, but I have a respect and an admiration and and a true you know like. Whatever. I just love the sport. It's yeah. fascinating. You have an understanding of what's what's ah, what's going what on saying. out there. So yeah. I have an understanding of what's going on out there. Granted, you know, getting punched in the face sucks, and I don't ever want it to happen to me ever again. And getting choked out sucks. And, but watching the sport is fantastic. And uh, you know, it's kind of like I didn't know anything about football, like American football, until about four or five years ago when I was living with. The guy whose house we watched that fight at. Okay. So, anyways, so I basically anytime there's a good mixed martial arts fighting card on TV um, or pay per view or whatever, I'll get together with a few f- select friends and we'll watch these fights. And so, you know, Ed, you should consider yourself lucky that you were invited into the inner sanctum. Oh yeah. Into the secret track. society because we've got we've got national championship. National champion martial artists in our little audience, in our crew, and we have, you know, professional athletes, and then we also have total schlubs and people that don't do shit and they just love fighting and yeah. want to come over and hang out and make jokes. So right. the whole thing with our our fighting nights is jokes. Like, we make fucking jokes. We joke, joke, joke. And the ringleader, I'll say, of this little secret fight club we have um, is hilarious. Also, is a professional psychologist, so a therapist, oh, that makes a lot of a, sense. A counselor. That makes a lot of sense. And we tear each other apart, and it's hilarious. And we really love fighting. It's just fascinating. And the mentality, I mean, everything about it. The mentality, the physical aspects. You know, we're all cyclists, and we're all bike racers. And 
you know, we get suffering and we understand like having to work for a victory or, you know, work for a victory and then get to a defeat. And, yeah. you know, there's just such this fascinating emotional component to fighting. And the fact that, um, you know, when I was younger and I was li- when I was living in Santa Cruz, I actually, I remember I was having band practice and it was like some new people I was playing music with. And it was this weird dude's house and we were playing, we were jamming in his garage and then you know, we kind of got to the gym and he's like, hey, do you want to hang out and watch some fighting? And it, like, I'm like a 20, maybe 21 year old skateboarder punk kid and I'm trying to play in like hardcore and punk bands. And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, let's check it out. And I'd never seen any UFC before. So we go, we finish band practice and then we go and I remember this viscerally, like viscerally. We go and he had like a Sega Genesis and we play some video games for a while and then he goes and he gets this big tub of Red Vines and he's like, hey, you guys, check this out. And he had these VHS cassette tapes of, it was like, oh, and we shit. watched that night UFC 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Right. So I got the full Hoist Gracie blast oh, of right. all the whole of beginning, like, yeah. the whole beginning, all in one go. And at that time, again, this is, I don't know what the hell this was. This was, God, was it 20 years ago? It it's was like 15 be. or 20 years it's ago. Be. And there was no, like, I didn't have a cell phone. There was, I mean, there no. was internet, but I didn't have it. I didn't know what no, it was. Shit was still on VHS. Yeah, it was on a VHS tape. And so there was no way for me to go and, like, learn more about this thing or see it more. And so fast forward, you know, and then you would hear glimpses, like, you know, MMA would make the news here and there. And then it was only, I don't know, five or six or seven years ago that, like, my interest got peaked again. And I feel like it was when Zuffa must have bought the UFC from the original owners. And, uh, man, I think, who was it? It was, like, Brock Lesnar. It was some really big-name general star that kind of caught my attention again. And then I got right back into it. And now with the internet, like, I can go and you can look up stats. You get to know the fighters. Misha Tate's from Seattle area. I don't know, Tacoma or something. So she's basically local. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can... It's kind of that social media thing. I mean, I love it because we can go and we can find like home videos of the Diaz brothers like getting in these fights. And what's great is all those guys do like podcasts too, or you can hear them like throughout the week and being like, oh, they're on a bunch of podcasts talking to people. Yeah, the Diaz brothers are out of control. Those guys are great. I'm really because that's the same date. Like, so that's the the Diaz. Oh God, don't get me started. I think that is a bullshit fight. Well, I it's, think it's a money maker it's, for sure. It, you know what? I'm not gonna pay to watch that fight. I'm gonna boycott that one. It's it's bullshit. The first fight was cool. It was fun. It was a fun fight. Yeah. You know, it was Nate Diaz or uh, Nick Diaz and Conor McGregor at catch weight. They're both a little overweight. It's just a super fun fight. Everybody wanted to see happen. And then it happened, and it was a total upset, and it was hilarious, and it was a great fight, but not a good enough fight that, like, we need to see it again. Right. I don't know. It's funny. I, I very, very rarely are down. I'm, I'm bummed on fights. Like, I'm pretty much down to watch. I will watch yeah, the yeah, crappiest yeah. fights out there. Well, uh, if those guys come but, at if they come at it and try to, I think, like, it would go to, I don't know. I just picture it not being fixed. I don't want to think, think it's fixed. I just would be interested if it's not fixed. You'd be like, yeah, you can't. It's hard to fix it because those guys are just beating the shit out of each other. I think there have been absolutely been some fixed MMA fights. I mean, I think even MMA podcasters and news people would tell you, like, you know, publicly they're like, well, no, MMA is legit. But there have been some fixed fights for sure. You know, you get paid enough money. If you're getting paid in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, you will throw a fight. But that fight wasn't fixed. Um, There's nothing McGregor stood to win by losing you right. know like 
he lost big time. And that fight, too. Everybody was giving it. I mean, no one. You always have a puncher's chance. No one expected um, Nate Diaz to win that fight. I, I, I did. Like, yeah. I started the thought because he was just taller. Yeah. Like, longer, taller dudes. Yeah. And he's, like, judo guy. And you're like, shit. And he did. Like, yeah. it was just, like, the judo guys, the wrestling. Because I grew up, you, you had a history of saying, you said you did a little bit of martial arts growing up. I had a dad. My dad was a heavyweight wrestler in high school and college. Oh. He went to Iowa State and was heavyweight wrestler at Iowa State for four right. years. I mean, this dude was like built like a truck, you know, like my old man. And I was like, I like cycling and basketball. He was like, no. Nope. Like, he's like, you're going to wrestle until you, you prove to me that you can wrestle and then you get to do basketball. So I, he forced me to wrestle. And actually, I wasn't that into cycling or didn't know. I was into mountain biking. I like bicycles, BMX. I did some BMX racing growing up. We had this local park, Island Park. You know, I was like, BMX was cool. It was just like motocross. Um, but it's funny to think that I spent maybe from fourth grade to eighth grade in a wrestling singlet. And then That's I got into awesome. road cycling. That's I was like, awesome. I'm, every time I put on like bibs for cycling, I'm right. like, I get like, and I think that's why you get the, the, the instant poop or the nerves to be like, like you put bibs on. As soon as you put your arms through the, the, the loops, you're like, oh, I gotta take it down. Well, like, you did. I so only, that's fascinating. I did not worst. know that about you. It was the worst, it, but it was the best. It was a great, I mean, I was forced to do something that I would have, I, I cried and like begged in like the, sh- the showers and like the locker room and like they're calling your name to go out there to wrestle somebody. And I'm like, don't make me do it. Don't yeah. make me do it. You know, like, I'll was your dad there? Yeah. And being like, what are you talking about? And he would just sit there and laugh at me and be like, I'd be like, I'll do the laundry. I'll do <laughs> the lawn. And he's like, they're calling. You got to go out there. And he's like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to turn around. He's like, you're going to go out there. And he's like, the first thing you're going to do is this move. Like, and he would just be like, once you get past one person's like yeah. defense. And all I really learned was, uh, it was so funny. Cause I was like a doughy like kid. I'm like a doughy, doughy adult. Like, I'm always fluctuating. I can never keep the same weight. Like, I'm either, like, 165 or, like, 190. I just can go back and forth because I have no, like, I have no uh, self-control when it comes to, like, weight management. But in high school, you always have to be under a certain weight, you know? So I would just wrestle my lazy boy weight, and I would be wrestling, like, superior kids who were cut, to get down to the lowest they could get. Actual so I was like, athletes. oh man, like shit, you know? So I had to do a lot of moves like tickling. Like I did a lot of like misdirect. I did a lot of fake crying like out there. Oh. So I, w- I had this one move where uh, when I would, somebody <laughs> would get me, like, so a lot of times dudes go for the wrist lock. So when wrestling, you can't punch or anything. You have to sort of like manipulate like balance. But when a guy grabs your wrist, they sort of have your wrist and they try to like control your balance and pull you forward, push you back because you're grappling or they do the textbook like grab behind your head you know so you're both sort of like in there locked up and i would always do this thing where when we got locked up and we our sort of ears would be like together and we'd sort of be waiting i would go ow 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 (laughs) and and the the, no matter who i was wrestling because we're so young they would be like they would be like oh shit and i would just drop down and pick both their ankles up and just pick them up and like get on top of them and they then they would be like two points, so then you get two points for getting somebody down, and then the rest of the match I would just 
stay away and just wriggle and just try to be in my point. So I would just wait time out. And I won all the time just being like, fuck you. They'd be like, what do you, did I, they're like, you didn't get hurt. And I was like, no, I didn't. I'm like, ow, 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 ow. And then drop down and get them. And like, that's what I would do every time. Cause it worked on my brother. It like worked. And I was like, I'm not going to fucking fight this guy. Like I don't want to wrestle this dude. I don't want to get any closer to this guy. So that was my tactic. It did okay. And then they're like, yeah, they're like, you're a great wrestler. I'm like, no, I'm a no. fucking cheater. Well, I mean, it, it's a competition. Right. So you're a horrible wrestler, but you're still able to game the system yeah. and compete. Yeah. So You just got to get them behind them once. Once you're up on points, then you just don't let them score on you. Dudes would get so pissed. Like, oh, really yeah. good guys oh, that were sure. like, that sure were, like you. yeah, they would be like, there's no way he's going to keep me from going to States. And like, Ooh. my thing would be, because I would never go to State, but I would try to keep, beat somebody to make them, like, they would be like, their chances would be diminished. And I'd be like, yeah, fuckery. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I, now can I play basketball? You could probably track down these guys on Facebook, and yeah. I guarantee you they have stories about you Yeah, from their side. Yeah, this dude destroyed <laughs> my you career. You should totally look up some guys that you remember fighting in like yeah. your yearbook or something. If you're listening now, you, never, you didn't want to be a wrestler. And let's face it, if I can beat you, you're never going to go anywhere. I would. Your, your mental game wasn't there. I right? would pay money, and we could get our secret society... Of fighting right. friends to come and watch you wrestle as an adult, one of those guys that you wrestled in high school. Can you imagine that? I will. I will make it happen. Let's I facilitate think, it. I think I would still take me now because I, yeah, I still have that same trick. And yeah. B, they're probably like not as in good shape. No, you because would still get him with the same trick. It would still work. Yeah. Oh my wrist! Ow! And then oh, and then you would. Oh, it's that you gotta get the quick like ow 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 because like it's <laughs> and they that little bit of tension that really you know that let go then you just. I would just lift my legs up so I would just fall to the ground. And then when you're just looking at their ankles, if you grab somebody's ankles and pull them, like, you can pull your feet off. The, like, anybody's going down, unless they're bigger. But that's the nice thing about wrestling is your sort of weight, your schedule. Right. Uh, it was the best, man. It, it was so stressful. Especially you have, like, your dad or your your mother who's who she knew, she knew about wrestling, and she was so supportive. But, like, at random times, just yelling, uh, run the half. You know, just being like, run the half. What the hell does that mean? Run the half. From like, and the guys on like choking me, and I'm like looking up, like, mom, like just looking at her while I'm getting like my ass kicked, and be like, what are you talking? Shut up! You're embarrassing me. Run the half. I don't even know. What sit that up. Yeah, me sit at the up. time. But yes. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, sit up. Oh, I'm trying. Yeah, that was fucking great. <clears throat> do people do that in a? What's the kind of a? The heckling or the screaming that happens in cycling when you're racing, and like, you you got you have to hear some pretty special things where you're like, are you fucking kidding? And then you you're there and you're gone, and then you're just like, oh Jesus yeah. Christ! I I when I race my bike these days, I don't I tune it out, man. I'm cycling doesn't come easy for me, <laughs> so when I'm racing my bike, I'm just like tuned out. I'm checked out. I barely hear anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just like trying to find good lines and pedal as hard as I can and not make mistakes. I think that in Portland, cycling heckling kind of got really crazy and then it's gotten subdued and I don't know. I think, uh, I don't know, I have a conflicted relationship with cycling heckling. Yeah, a lot of it you're just like, eh. <clears throat> I have a great memory of when we were out at uh, Kruger's a couple years ago and uh 
you were out there racing Kruger's Farm, like the cross race, and I was in like <laughs> racing like fives or whatever. And then somehow, like, I was still out there. Like, they started our race, and then you guys started. So you were, like, lapping me. So not only did I see you at the beginning and the end, but yeah. then, like, I saw you twice or four times because you just kept going by me, and you are like, what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm killing it. <laughs> and we came around one of the first corners, and the announcer was just like, Ed Rogers is killing the men's ones. And then they're like, he's five. He's last in fives. And you're like, Molly Cameron up front. And it was like... We right wing past the the, the the start stop line and I remember just like laughing so hard like I couldn't even pedal anymore I'm like that's the fucking best ever you're just like Rogers is just, just Team JVA is just out front Team you're like, JVA he's still off of fives like he's way off the back dead last dude okay tell me about Team JVA is it still active it's has hibernation yeah that's what I could tell mm-hmm. JVA I had no idea who the hell anybody was. And so I think something that happens with phenomena like JVA is that it's different and it's, it comes out, you know, on whatever form, fucking radio, podcast, mm-hmm. website comes out and then it gets some buzz and people start hearing about it and it's different and people either want to align with it or they want to not be aligned with it. They want to detract from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where, that split. And like, but when JVA came out, I didn't know. Like, there were a few people involved in it, and I didn't know. And then ultimately, you know, like over months and you know, years, I, I got to know a bunch of the people involved. But when it came out, to me, it was just this Rafa parody site, and it was perfect. Like, and to me, it was like, when it came out, I just, like, I had no idea who these people were. I had no idea what the point was, but I just saw it as this piece of art. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is an incredible commentary on what I thought was this kind of disgusting thing going on in cycling. And this is like, I wouldn't, it wasn't 10 years ago, but it was four or five years ago. Yeah, it was like five years ago. And I mean, even five years ago, social media as it was, was like in its infancy, you know, like it was, people were still blogging and were still like, you know, doing websites and, um, you know, Twitter and Instagram wasn't as pervasive as it is. And it just like, I loved it. And like, I loved it in this out of this place of respect, and it wasn't even because like I knew you were involved or like people I knew. I didn't know who the hell yeah, it was. Yeah, nobody really knew I for a little bit. Yeah, it was like totally under wraps, and I just was like, "This is perfect," and uh, I don't know, man. I, I uh, it's cool because it didn't really devolve or go anywhere. You know, it wasn't like it turned into something ugly, and you know, and right, the website right, right. has gotten disgusting. But like, just for me in that moment of time, it was like. This, it was it was like I kind of aligned with it. But well, then it was the I was pinnacle like, of like when everybody was sort of feeling the same thing. Like it was so true and so um, it's almost more true today than it was back then. But it, it was it was really like ahead of its time in a sense. But it was so. I mean, if you can imagine the guys involved: Dylan Robbins, Jason Borum, Cody Gervasi, us sitting and like. Uh, doing that when nobody really knew who we were and just putting it up and being like let's like yeah creating that and it looks so glossy it looks so it, it was basically a, a day-to-day parody like as soon as somebody like Rafa or somebody like Castelli or anybody put something up we could turn around with our marketing and we're like our creativity people yeah. and put it up like the next day and be like how did how was that happening to the point where we were getting ahead and doing projects 
and sort of just almost predicting the future and being like, I bet you this is going to happen. And as soon as it happened, you'd, ha- you'd have a pre, you'd have an Easter egg built up and you can drop it yeah. and be like, see what happened. And people were like, you have to be fucking kidding me. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. I loved it. I was, I was loving every minute of that. You know, it was like a year or it was a year plus. It was like a year, a year and a half. I was yeah, just that's like, about the so lifespan. Good. It's like a net. Oh, man. Yeah. TeamJVA.com. And then you can go to the backdoor link was that Rafa thing was the uh, the JavaA.com. Oh, yeah, it was right. the JavaA International. So that was like the black and white. And like we had the Spanish influencer on there. It was like all these different things about like what's still now today is what people are doing in social media and being like hipster logos, hipster font, black and white, super glossy. Like if you look at anybody that's doing something on the Internet, you just basically revert back to like they're all taking that same uh, that same scope. And in a sense, like, I was just watching uh, one of the videos the other day, like a Rafa Continental video. And I was like, oh, man, I remember this shit because now it's like 2013 or 2012. You're like, it's not that long ago, but in concept it is. You know, like, time's going so much faster. And sure enough, like, I turn it on, and there's Ira Ryan, there's Greg Johnson, all my friends. There's like... Um, Tony Prayer's on there, like all these dudes are out there riding and they were, you know, to give them credit for what they're doing is like they were out there really doing it and like just doing pretty, pretty cool rides and just like get blowing it up marketing wise and just being like making a good job of, of getting other people attached, like a guy that barely rides once a week, like myself now being like, I need those fucking bips, like, or I need that Pereira, Ira Ryan, Rafa bike. And I mean, that's the best thing about it. I mean, that's like, that's what I love about social media is like, I'm the same boat as you. Like, I don't ride my bike. Like, people laugh and I'm, you know, going on a bike ride with somebody and I'm like, hey man, I haven't ridden in like six weeks. And they're like, oh, oh, oh you yeah, sure. you're fine. And I'm like, no, really, like, I don't ride my bike. Like, I work so goddamn much. That, yeah. like, it's kind of like I was saying with me and technology earlier. It's like, when I have to work and when other things take precedence, like, this pro women's team and like, you know, our, the PBS teams and like the, the shop or coaching or whatever other irons in the fire have, like when work takes precedence, like I stop riding my bike and, you know, because for me, you're like riding a bike has been work, you know, like I have to train. I know how much I have to work on the bike to be able to race at a certain level. So anyway, I check out like when I'm working really hard, I just check out, you know, people are like, you know, you ride all the time. I'm like, no, I don't ride all the time, man. Like, but so, but to the point is like, well, that's what I love about social media now is like, I love it and I hate it, but mostly I love it is that I can see people are out there riding and I know that that's inspiring other people to get out there and ride. Like I, I love like how much people are doing adventure riding and gravel oh, riding and all crazy, this stuff. Yeah. And there's like, you know, there's absolutely a part of me and I think a part of plenty of other people that are like, this is annoying as hell. Like all anybody does is post photos of this epic ride they did and this, you know, epic this and epic that. But for me, I'm like, this is cool because there are people out there riding roads I've never even heard of. And this is inspiring me to like, want to go out there and like, ride on these cool roads and like get out there and ride my road bike, ride my bike on gravel, like go right. mountain bike. And how would you find those fucking places unless you're yeah. like, oh, I can get, oh, I can go out to the Dalles and go there and back. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel you what you're saying. Yeah. So it's inspiring and motivating, but then it, it again, with all this social media, it can be overload. It's just like sometimes it's overload. And I've done this like over the years. Like there's just a point where I'm like, I need to check out. Like 
I can't constantly, you know, it's so much stimulus and it's so much. And then, you know, the sinister side of, of, uh, you know, it's, it's not only social media, but it's like marketing, you know, the sinister side of being so involved in cycling and cycling is, is like everything I do. Yeah. Is that it's like the marketing heavy stuff, and everybody's a fucking ambassador, and everybody's like, you know, you've got every amateur bike racer or like cat three, it doesn't matter if you're a fucking cat one beginner or whatever, everybody wants free stuff, and everybody wants to be an ambassador, and you know, and then companies and, and brands don't have, they don't even have the staff or they don't have the wherewithal to like tell them, like, this is a horrible place to put your marketing dollars, you're getting no return on investment, um, you need to, you know work with people that are legitimate ambassadors are actually going to do a good job, you know, and, you know, it's like, it's a fascinating time for marketing and for technology because really I think, is. no, no, it's the wild west. Right it's now. infantile. It's like, yeah. people have no clue, you know, big companies have no idea where to spend marketing dollars and they think like, oh, we'll sponsor this gravel riding team as an adventure team because that's going to help us sell more units and, and, you know, it's fascinating kind of watching all these bike companies, whether it's like a small local builder or it's like, you know, bigger companies like Giro or Specialized. And like at the end of the day, we all kind of want the same thing. We want more people riding bikes. Mm-hmm. Bikes are cool. Like that's something I have to tell myself every day. What I'm involved in, bike racing, running a bike shop, you know, coaching, running teams, just riding my bike is cool. Like all of this stuff is okay. You know, like at a certain point, there's sinister parts of it. You know, bike racing, professional bike racing is wasteful. You know, you fly all over the world. You spend a ton of money just to race your bike. And and it's a super weird thing I struggle with. But at the end of the day, riding your bike is really amazing. And uh, it's it's interesting. At least it's not like IndyCar. Like, it's like, yeah, like you talk about like MotoGP or all that. Like, you look at how technology is like trickles up to the, the, the richest people. And cycling's like that too. I get you. Like I, I really try to transform my own uh, personal opinion on like being. I don't know if now I'm a super hater that's really smart, or I'm just less of a hater that was dumb. Like I felt like I was dumb and just hated for no reason. It was like fuck that guy. Like pick insert name of like industry dude that you're like. Yeah. I fucking hate that dude. Why did I hate him? Well, there was no real reason. It was just a, a, a. a uh, a conflict of like their success compared to my success yeah. or my perceivable no, success. That's, I mean, that's common. I don't know what we should, what is the term for that? You know, like that's a common thing to be jealous or angered by like seeing someone else's success. Yeah, what is the term? What would you call that? I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's not just jealousy, but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I absolutely went through that too. You know, like I would see, whether it's my competitors in the bike world, like in the retail world as a bike shop, or my competitors on the bike, mm-hmm. you know, and when you see other people have success, you're kind of like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's like, you're like, oh, I want that, or like, or you're just bummed out or jealous, you know, or you hear. Well, you just really you know, judge those people. You're like, well, they could have done way better. And you're like, really? Like, or like, yeah. you take what they did and you're like, I would have done it this way. Right. And people sort of do that to successful people all the time. Yeah. But like, I've done, I've made a point especially in the last five or six years, like turning that on myself. Right. You know, so like it's a way, it's a way for me to like check myself when I'm feeling grouchy or I'm just like, Oh, that's BS. You know, like what the hell is that? And then I'll kind of take that and check myself and be like, ah, you know what? They're doing good shit. You know, I think the or time how long is it going to take me to come around to I'm like, 
I actually fucking like that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes you hate yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Called, being called, like, the radivist effect. Yeah. It totally is. People hate that dude for no particular reason. But they're just like, eh, I fucking hate that guy. Like, I hear... Yeah, I hear that all the time. You know, I've, I've, met, I've met that guy a couple of times. I don't, I've never seen it. Like, I've never been to the website or anything. Right. Um. And and I don't have an opinion. Like, yeah, I think because I think people are doing. Like, he's I like a nice guy. He's that, just like very like yeah. I'm doing my thing. Like, totally. I work fucking hard. Yeah. Like, that's what I was gonna say. Is like I like people that work hard. Yeah. And that's like what I respect. You know, like like I could give a shit if it's cycling or what, but as long you know, like I know how much work doing the website is and creating content and writing stories and taking photos and then on top of that riding your bike a little bit and all this shit so when I see people doing it and doing it well I'm just like respect yeah. mad fucking respect I may not like personally like what you're selling you know I might not be aligned with the, those brands you right. know or whatever well, a lot of it too is you get into those higher brands or you get very good at that job and you're into I mean you just get into that realm of like I'm sure a lot of those guys, I'm not really talking about anybody in particular, but you get into, if the money's coming in and you're, and you're going to get paid to do that, you, you might even have to put aside like what you even feel about the brand and be like, you're going to pay me what? Like, sure. I'll fucking all day long pump your stuff up. You know, if you're in the business of making money and in the business of trying to like pay your rent, you know what I mean? So there's a, seriously, there's a super fine line, like, cause you guys have sponsors. You guys sort of like, you've been with envy for a long time. Yeah, I was one of the original, very first NBA yeah. athletes. That was crazy. Those guys walked into my bike shop in like 06, like 05 or 06. I think yeah, they, might 06. Have to, they might have to redo your profile too. They might oh need to update it. I know. I was supposed to redo it last year. <laughs> I got nothing to speak of. Man. What race results do you have? Oh, I don't know. The second in a lot of bike I'm races. killing it. I'm yeah. killing it. Trust me. Well, it's... It, the, the, so the one thing that like I've tried to maintain over the years... Because we're kind of talking about this like weird like social media yeah, and being ambassadors and telling stories is I've always tried to be as authentic as possible. And, you know, frankly, I've never had anyone pay me enough to completely sell out. You know, like I've gotten money and I've gotten paid over the years, but it's never been like to the detriment or taken away or changed like my story and what I'm doing. You know, and you'll switch equipment. And that's kind of the nature, I think. For a lot of people, they'll get emotionally attached to a bike brand or a wheel company or this and that. And, you know, like I've ridden for, fuck, I don't know, half a dozen different custom frame builders, whether they're local or on the East Coast or, you know, wherever. And then I've, now I race my bike for, uh, like a stock bike company, I race for Focus Bicycles. Um, and, you know, like I've raced for all these different people, but it's always been really authentic. And, you know, there's never been a point where I've had to. If, if someone had come along and been like, here's a six figure check, you know, you're going to race for Specialized or some brand that, like, I'm not really feeling or I don't identify with, like, that would be a struggle. But then you'd have to hit that point and you'd have to, at that moment, that's when I would have to yeah. go, well, do I want to pay my rent or right. do I want to continue being authentic and struggle? And I feel like, this is such a common theme in Everywhere. with artists, with athletes, you know, I mean, sure as shit, you know, like you can guarantee those basketball players making millions of dollars, millions of dollars have no hesitation at all signing the biggest check because at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And it's, I talk about all this crazy shit and I'm like, I'm an anti-capitalist. Like I grew up, you know, like <laughs> I'm a punk, like I grew up not wanting 
to be have anything to do with capitalism and here I am I own a bike shop and I run you know a professional women's cycling program that's reliant entirely on me managing money and sponsors and people helping fund the program and you know and like I have employees I have employees that like kind of across these different um, ventures and you know my priority is paying my staff across the board and then you know I'm like oh I gotta pay my rent <laughs> like yeah. I have to pay myself and uh, well it's tough you gotta keep that balance because I think if you go one way or the other you end up broke if you go too much too much uh, I don't want to say self pride or if you go too hard at being like I'm not gonna bend on my integrity you, you sort of stay in the rough zone yeah. if you go too far into like yeah. selling out eventually those people will leave you and be like well we're sort of done like it's sort of washed up and then you end up out again anyway yeah. so it's really... I mean and that's kind of back to my point like, mad respect to somebody like um, you know the Radivist and John Crawley and whatever like there I get the sense that that's a pretty authentic thing it is a job ultimately and that's what yeah. I think people feel to see is like you know what this guy's in the business of marketing and you know in whatever form that takes um, and it's not evil or sinister or bad. It's his job, and he's good at it. Yeah. And, you know, again, I may not love it, or, you know, it might not be, like, what I love, but uh, I know how much of work it is. And so it's cool to see people, like, doing a good job of making right. a living doing that thing. I don't know. I assume, I assume from social media that he's making a living. Who fucking knows? Maybe that guy's just as broke as we are, right? <laughs> Sitting around, like... Most likely. <laughs> shit. Um... Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're spot on. We went down a, a, a crazy road with all this stuff. I love it. This is the best part about this podcast is you never really know. You sort of, I like how we, you know, you were like boiling some water to make some tea and we started just to catching up and then you're like, we jumped into uh, some different podcast ideas and I'm like, no, 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 don't Let's not fucking talk. We have to do, what we're going to do. Tell me your idea. Let's get into it. We're going to do our pilot podcast for, so... My psychologist friend and I, who's going to remain anonymous, um, are, are, you know, want to do this MMA and bike racing podcast. Uh, it's stuff we're passionate about. It's stuff that we both do. Um, and uh, <laughs> we should do the pilot here. Yeah. We should do it on the Pup Fortland We can do it anywhere. Podcast. Yeah, we can do it. We can be on location anywhere, but I'd be definitely happy to help. So we're going to, one of the next nights, we're going to do like a fight companion. That's probably trademarked by Joe Rogan or somebody. But like, sure. we're going to sit down and we're going to watch fights and we can record the podcast. We're going to need like six mics. Easy. Okay. All right. And then we're going to see how it goes. We'll put it out there. I'll put it on my website. You put it on your website. Yeah. And then uh, maybe It'd be we'll make a hilarious. series out of it. Those guys, all the... the the dude that will not be named yet his inside bets or like his mid-fight bets of like who oh, do you yeah. think it's like all oh, these yeah. things you're like no way like what are you talking about that's not a bet and you're like I'll take that bet oh, like, yeah. you're just like oh, I'll, yeah. I'll put 10 bucks on that bet oh, yeah. like who's who smiles first you're like <laughs> you know yeah betting we should say is illegal in the great state of Oregon right uh, unregulated betting but you know like is it really? Yeah. Can you not make a, an in-house bet? I don't know. I'm just covering my ass so you know, <laughs> cops don't come and get me. Right, for all so the wait, cops do you know that I, this, I mean, I could save this story, but I was threatened with legal action by the UFC a handful of years ago. 
I mean, I have the letters they sent their lawyers after. This is perfect. And then I got on social media platform. I got on Twitter and I tweeted Dana White and I said, Dana, hey, like, I'm a, I'm a cycling dork. I'm a bike racer. I love MMA. I was watching it with my buddies and your lawyers are coming after me for illegally uh, viewing and showing a pay-per-view card. And it was uh, Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen too. Oh yeah, great fight. And uh, you know the TV at the bike shop was bigger than the TV at my house, so I was like, hey, let's all just watch watch it at the shop. And it was after hours. Right. You know, the shop wasn't open. You know, but I had like five or six friends in there, and we had pizza, and we hung out in the bike shop with like folding chairs and watched this fight. And so I had like taken a photo and tweeted about it, and I tagged you. I'm sure that I like, tagged UFC. Sure. Like you do. And then, of course, you know, like six months later, I get this legal letter from their legal department. And I mean, you know, I was like, like the, the redistri- redistribution and like, right. That oh, way, yeah. The, the uh, jar, that whole thing that you yeah. see at the beginning of the broadcast that says, you know, you cannot record this and you cannot. Well, here I am doing it. So well, they sent me this letter. So anyways, like the great thing about social media is I just looked and I waited until I saw that Dana White was actively on Twitter, that he was on Twitter responding to people. And I assumed, and it was like during a fight week, so I assumed he was in an airport. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to tweet at him. And, and he followed me, and then we started direct messaging back and forth. He gave me his phone number, and he ended, I gave him my number, and we tweeted back and forth, and then he called me. So I'm talking to Dana White on the phone, and he's just like, oh, I'm sorry, bro. Uh, you know, we're really coming down hard on piracy. We're cracking down on this, bro. And I'm, and I'm just like... Okay, man, I was like, just don't fucking sue me, because, like, I'm a small bike shop, and you will put me out of business, and, like, I'm not, like, a sports bar, like, showing your, you know, I'm not making a buck off of watching your fights. Like, I paid for the card, and a few of my friends, like, you know, well, it's just because it was in your business, bro, like, it was in the business, like, I get it, and so it went away, and, like, a year passed, and then a year later, I get another letter from, like, their their lawyers, and it literally, like, this is this world that, like, I'm not a part of at all, you know, like, so it's totally crazy that I have Dana White's cell phone number in my phone right now. I could text him right now. Yeah, just like, hey, we're going to Dana, I wouldn't do that to you. Are we um, in trouble for, for talking about this? Yeah, and it actually came back, you know, their lawyers, like, came back after me, and I had to call him again, and I had to call Dana again, and be like, hey, man, like, your lawyers are still after me, and, and he remembered, he's like, oh, you're the, you're the bike shop, and I was like, yeah, you know, and he's like, okay, I'll call him, that just call, amazing. call this number, talk to this lady, just tell her I, I said it's cool, so literally, I call this law office, and it's on the east coast somewhere, and it's like, you know, blah, 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 and I'm like, hey, can I talk to this lady, this lady gets on the phone, she starts yelling at me, you are stealing, you are, what you're doing is theft, we're coming after you, and I was like, hey, you know what, Dana, you know, talk to, give Dana a call, he told me to tell you, you know, to back off, that, you know, like, you know, this is, this is okay, that it's not what you think, she's like, oh, really, you talked to Dana, and I was like, yeah, I talked to Dana, and then she was like, no, seriously, you talked to Dana, and I was like, yeah, I talked to Dana, like, I've got his phone number right here, like, we talked, it's cool, give him a call if you don't believe me, and that was the last I heard of it. That is fucking amazing. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's so hilarious. Uh, also stressful. If you get a letter from a company like that, and they're like, we're going to sue you for a million dollars. Yeah, it was you have very seen. stressful. Yeah. Um, I'm glad um, they didn't sue you. You know, they probably could have tried to sue me. I, I They wouldn't. How many? They you know, there's nothing there. So like, they would make no money. <laughs> like, cool, right. here's $10,000 worth of bike parts and tools. Good luck right. trying to here's sell that stuff. Harley Brave. You can put it on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, here, here's some old race bikes. Oh, they're still good. That's fucking amazing. So, like, I totally, like, 
want to try and figure out we're going to start with the mma and cycling podcast that may very well just be the name of the podcast but we're going to start with the mma and cycling podcast and i really especially with women's mma there's i want to see crossover in professional women's cycling and professional women's fighting it sounds fucking crazy but i am fascinated by both I don't think they necessarily need to happen like at the same time. It's not like there should be a bike race and then an MMA bout. Like, oh, though, that'd be hilarious. An <laughs> MMA fight inside of an octagon, and then we could have a criterium or a cyclocross race happening yeah. around the fight. Who wins? Who wins? <laughs> we all win. We and all. we all fucking win. <laughs> uh, at least I win because I would. I think it's hilarious. Right. And I think I would. I, so I would also. I would be. Fun. I would be bumming out everybody. Like the cyclists would be super bummed out. There, there's this fight going on, and then the 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 MMA fans would be super bummed out that there's these weird cyclists and spandex hanging out and riding around. And it would Two be totally different genres of athleticism too, which is amazing. Yeah, but they're so similar. It's, it's a battle, battle out there. Yeah. How are your girls yeah. doing? How's the PBS girls team doing? The PBS team is doing fantastic. It's like incredible right now. Um, Right now, we're the you know we're the Oregon Road State Champions. We're the Oregon Criterium State Champions. Um, it's like I care about bike racing. You know, I love bike racing. I'm a bike racer. I'm passionate about it. But I also just love seeing people ride their bikes and race. And it's, it's interesting that it's like a conflicting thing because people's egos can get really tied up in racing and it can freak them out and scare them off. And, you know, with the Oregon Bike Racing Association, it's a really welcoming scene. You know, you can get into racing at whatever level and have fun, and you can race your bike a hell of a lot, and it's accessible and it's relatively cheap. Um, and, you know, across the board, we've got beginner women, we've got elite women, we have women that ride mountain bikes, we have women that race mountain bikes, you know, there's road bikes, there's track bike racers, so it's it's a success. I mean, it's kind of at this point where like, it's this thing I've been doing for like 10 or 15 years and, and it's really coming into its own where we have a lot of support and a lot of really cool sponsors. And so our elite women are taken very good care of. And then our beginner women are also taken very good care of. And there's like a good nurturing environment kind of for all levels and all of, you know, the riders and whatever discipline they want to ride their bikes. Um, and you know, and now like coming in and have, taking ownership of this pro, like professional women's cycling team, we have this whole other step. And so I have this whole development program where, you know, you can be a beginner and you can go through the Portland Bicycle Studio kind of cycling team. Yeah, yeah. And as you come up regionally and then if you're like, hey, I want to go to do some big races, I can say, well, we can send you out and you can ride as a stagiaire um, and fill a development role on the professional team, you know, and you can have these opportunities to get experience at big races tons of experience yeah yeah and it's important and especially in women's cycling where the numbers are uh, quite a bit smaller yeah. you know it doesn't matter what region you're in or what name i mean i've ridden and raced bikes all over the world and like you know the women's cycling scenes are smaller and all of them need help and <clears throat> it's there's big skill level disparities. Even at the professional level, you'll have women at the pro level that don't have that much experience. They're just really talented, so they don't know how to race their bikes yet. So you can have this across the board. I mean, even at beginner women's cycling, you'll have beginners that have been racing their bikes for three or four years, and they're still beginners. Yeah. Um, whereas with men's cycling, you just have more people filling the gaps. You know, like the skill level disparities aren't quite as high. I mean, here regionally, you'll have 
pro and semi-professional women racing with near beginners, women that have been riding their bikes, racing their bikes for a year. Um, and that's hard. And that's what it ends up being a big challenge. And that can kick people out of the sport really quick. Because if a new rider gets into it, whether they're men or women, and, um, you know, they get into it and you're a beginner and then all of a sudden in some of your first races you're racing with elite level riders, it's not fun. It's way, you're, you know, you're, you're out of your element and it's not fun. And so I try really hard to keep it fun and approachable. And I like, you know... I want to see riders develop, both men and women, you know, like, I want to see healthy development as athletes and as people, and then, um, you know, make, I'm rambling on about it, but it's just healthy and slow progress is better than, like, rushing the top, and like, oh, people yeah. are so quick to, like, oh, you know, you'll have a new bike race, oh, I want to be a pro, I want to be a pro, and I'm like, well, okay, I want you to take years to get there, yeah. you know, you can be the biggest talent in the world, but if you don't develop right, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, it does take years. There's so much to learn inside and out. <clears throat> What's going on with the, um, I saw the new, the Happy Tooth Pro. What can you tell us about that? So, last summer, you know, the PBS women's team had a killer year. And we won a, we didn't, we didn't actually win a whole lot of races, but we won some important races. And every rider on the team had a role and you know riders were stepping up it was just amazing to see like there's so much success last year and so much growth and like positivity and i went to interbike basically to hunt for sponsors for this program because i was like look if i can find a little bit of money and some real support from the bike industry uh you know bikes wheels yeah oh yeah i remember giving remember that like weird awkward fucking hug remember i saw you it was just like you're like i'm in the middle of something so you're like i'm I would love to say hi, and I was just like, just laying on top of you, just being like, "Hey, what's going on?" You're like, "Okay, okay, okay, okay. You gotta get, just get out of here right later." <laughs> I just like I have so much on my plate. Well, that's my style too, is just being like, I I don't see like sometimes I get blinded by like seeing a friend, especially at oh god, like, yeah. I'm so blasted of like talking to people and being like, "Oh my god, there's like there's Molly." It's like, hey, hey. Yeah, like, I know it's like a friendly face amongst the sea. It's save like, me. you know, it's just the sea of like. Again, it's like a sea of social media. It's like nonstop just content. You're blasted with product, 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 yep. product, and like new technology and this and, you know, compound and rubber and bikes and gear and angles and geometry. It's like, oh my God, you just want to see like another human being. And be right. Like, okay, I'm okay. Um, so in the midst of all that, I had like a handful of conversations with the old management of what was the BMW Happy Tooth. Uh, racing team which was also owned and uh, managed by the same group that ran the smart stop professional men's team so it was all kind of under this umbrella i'm going to leave names out of it because basically there a lot of i was in i walked into the middle of a lot of bridges burning kind of like across the board on these two pro teams right which happens it happens unfortunately it happens way too much in pro cycling i feel like it it's it's this bullshit template in pro cycling where like you know there'll be a team and they'll have all these partners and then when things start to crash and burn it's like rats fleeing a sinking right. ship you know the athletes bail the staff bail the management bails and they leave the sponsors hanging you know assets disappear equipment goes missing you know and and everybody's you know everybody's got their own story you know the athletes and, and ultimately 
usually it's the athletes getting screwed. You know, if, if a sponsor pulls out or, you know, um, if a money backer pulls out, the athletes are the first ones to get fucked. Right. You know, they don't get paid. All of a sudden, they're not able to go to races, you know, and and then after that, it's the staff. And then, you know, after the staff, it's whatever management group or owners, you know, and then ultimately the sponsors get hosed yeah, because they've made this big investment. And so you see this year after year after year after year, and it's it's this horrible game that it's this dance, really, that everybody does where, like, everybody's hustling. I mean, even now, I'm hustling for 2017. I mean, we're, we're one stage race into the season and I'm already having conversations about 2017 you know and that's just the way the game is played so I was at Interbike and I bumped into some friends and they were like hey I think there's stuff going on you know you should talk to these guys and blah 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 and I was like okay I'll have a conversation you know you can have a conversation and then the conversation you know I could kind of tell that it wasn't quite on the up and up and I was like you know okay I'll have this conversation and I'll explore it and basically it was like, look, you know, um, this team is kind of like, you know, we, we have all these assets and this team is kind of here. We need someone to help run it. And I was like, well, okay, I'll talk to you guys. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks, the conversation kind of quickly turned into like, um, we can't run this team anymore. Do you want to run it? And I was like, well, okay, I'll have that conversation. And my first, my very first thing that I said was like, before any of this happens like I'll talk to you about this and we can kind of talk about it but if, before any transition happens or you know any ownership change happens like I want the current owners to tell the riders and the staff like this change is happening you know I want them to know they don't have jobs yeah, sure, you know right. or that this change is happening and if they want a job that they need to talk to me right and of course that didn't happen you know so it was just like Fuck. I basically <laughs> I basically like stumbled into a rat's nest of bullshit and like there are a lot of burned bridges and there are a lot of really hurt feelings and frankly there are a lot of broken contracts there are a lot of like unpaid bills unpaid riders you know all this shit went down and so there already were you know I don't I don't have any beans to spill because I kind of came into it as a newcomer but then like after a few weeks of dealing with it and trying to kind of like, like I would hear one thing and then it would turn out to not be true or it would be like slightly true. And right, then, right, right. So I ended up having to piece together the story from like, uh, you know, 20 different sides. And, you know, it just basically there were a lot of hurt feelings and everybody's pissed off at one person or another and everybody's trying to point blame. And then for me as an outsider, I was looking at it and I was like, well, this is a clusterfuck. But there's enough left of these teams that I can put together a small program and I can give eight women jobs and I can hire a director and I can hire some staff and and I ended up meeting with um, Dr. Larry Moray who owns the Happy Tooth Dental Group which is a North Carolina based network of dental clinics um, and I, we met in person like I ended up flying out and meeting him and we had we had dinner and we talked and I was just like look we're not going to conquer the world in 2016, but I can put together a really good team. I can put together a solid roster. It'll be a small roster, and we'll have a small a schedule of races, and we'll nail it. We'll be able to win races, and then we can talk about 2017 and go bigger. And that just ended up panning out. And so um, it is a long story, but I ended up hiring a director and... I hired Robin Farina, who's a former 
road national champion, and she is, uh, I think she's a founder, and she is uh, on the board for the Women's Cycling Association. And she's a total rock star. She's a cycling coach, and she's a total badass. And we have spent the last six months basically talking like twice a day, every day, hustling and like putting this program together. And then, you know, we just kicked it off and we raced um, the Redlands Bicycle Classic last week in Redlands, California, you know, and got our team through the race and, you know, got some decent results. And yeah, we're hitting the road, you know, the the team's racing the uh, Criterium National Championships this Sunday in Greenville. Now, is that where you're off to? You said yeah. you're, you're out of here tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow I take a red eye and I fly into Chapel Hill and then I drive drive one of our vans four hours down to Greenville and pick the girls up. And then, um, yeah, there's a lot of racing down in Southeast. So we've got two weeks of team camp. Um, we're going to be in the Southeast racing a bunch of big crits. There's a Charlotte crit. Um, there's a Belmont crit. And, um, and then the National Championship crit in Greenville. And then I'll be back. So I'm out of town for a few weeks. And I won't do a lot of travel with the team. Um, it's funny because a lot of people are like, so you own the team? And they kind of look at me like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, do you yeah. manage it? Do you just direct it? What does that mean? And, I, and like, you know, you travel a lot? Are you going to be going with the team? And, and so ultimately, like, no. Like, I hired my director to basically run the ship. Yeah. Know, run the show. Like, I, she hires the staff. She makes all the decisions she makes People the race day decisions yeah she knows her shit yeah. and frankly like i haven't raced most of these races you know like people know me primarily as a cross racer i did some pro road racing i was horrible at it and i but i didn't do it for years and years and years i did it for like a couple of years and i did some stage racing but like i haven't done all these big crits i haven't done redlands so a lot of this stuff is going to be first time for me at these races and yeah like i wanted really good people so you know Robin's a badass. I mean, I can't, I can't tell you like how good she is, and she knows everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. knows her and respects her. And you know, she was a pro last season. You know, she was on the team, right? You know, last year, and um, she's taken a step back entirely from racing, and she's just directing. Yeah. You know, and so between her and I, we handle all the flights, logistics. You know, getting our riders where they need to be, and then Robin hires. Uh, she handles all the hiring. Um, and firing of athletes. Her and I will, you know, we negotiate and hire the staff. We manage the staff. And, uh, you know, I basically wrangle all the sponsors and try and keep people happy. Yeah. And I try and put out the media. I've hired a social media, you know, or not a social media, but I just a straight up communications manager who does yeah. all of our photos and content. Oh, so key. Um, well, you guys seem like you're <laughs> off and running and doing yeah. like a fucking great, you're, at least you're, you have 2016 sort of ready to start and ready to go we'd love to have you back and talk about what happens in the next couple months i would love to come back yeah i'd love to have you back on just as a a a me and you conversation but also do the the mma thing for sure yeah so we're gonna i'm gonna come back in like two months and we'll recap the racing season and then we'll next month when i get back from greenville we will do an mma and cycling podcast night yeah Oh, we're gonna get a, we're gonna get a pilot out there. We're definitely gonna that July 9th fight. I think, even though you don't want to watch the final fight. Yeah, you know I'm gonna watch it as much as yeah. I hate it. Right. I'm gonna watch it. Right. You know, we need to have you recorded just what you say. We're like, I'm fucking over this. I'm, no. I'm over no. it. Yes, I'm over it, and it hasn't even started. Yet, and I'm <laughs> totally. over it. I'm 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 bored. Oh, I'm like, so on. We already saw the fight. No. 
Yeah. Molly Cameron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. It's great to have you. Eddie, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, we'll see you soon. All right. Good luck out there. Thanks. Holla out your city if you ride for it. Let them know why you die for it. Same reason all these riders get high, so it's all medicinal. Now what you want, buy, homie? Buy, bitch. Buy, bitch. Mob shit. Mob shit. Boss talk. Boss talk. Game rich. Game rich. Name game. Name game. Gang signs. Gang signs. Work on the phone, call it baseline. Yup. Line dance like a hold down, pimps up, daytime, whole block of ghost town, ghost ride, ghost face, G's get ghost in a moment, pour a little for the ghosts of the dead homies. Deadpan voice singing tin pan alley songs, panhandling in front of tourists with the camera phones. Get it how you live, or live till you get it. Get it in. When the stash low and it's no cash. Get it in. And you're riding no L's, no tags. Get it in. And she looking like you ain't gon' smash. Get it in. But she got her legs up on the dash. Show these haters how to get that work, make that work, work. 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 Uh, see, I get it, I whip it, I flip it, I pocket the profit. Don't know when to stop it. They calling me Griselda the Harlot.